series where we've been focusing on what God has done in us to make us new, to make us different people, to, make us, to help us grow. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking today about baptism. We've talked about this in the past. We're going to talk about it again. We're going to zoom in. Um, and we're going to talk about this because baptism is a crucial event in the life of any Christian because of what it means. Okay, And so if you haven't been baptized, this is going to be a learning experience for you to know what it actually means. If you have been baptized, you're going to learn something that happened to you. <laughs> and so there's something that's true about you that you might not already know. Um, baptism is a, it's an initiation ceremony, and it's full of symbolism. And sometimes some of the sacred symbols that God has ordained, um, they're designed to teach us. They're designed to help us grow in our understanding, um, and we need this desperately. Okay, we need this desperately because if you stop and think, like I did this week, like how in the world can we have a relationship with a God that we can't see? I mean, God is not a human being, right? He's God. He's the creator of all things, now, now, it helps immensely that this God became a human being, right? That the person of God came in Jesus, right? It helps a lot that Jesus was God, become human, to show us God's personal love, to demonstrate for us that he really does understand what it's like to be us. He understands what it's like to be truly human with all of the limitations and the frustrations of that. But still, still, Christianity claims that the most important relationship in your life is with someone that you cannot see. I mean, and it, it's more than that. Christianity claims that the most important thing in your life is a relationship with someone that you can't see. That's weird. <laughs> if you've been around the church for a long time, this becomes normal. Right? This becomes one of those things that you don't think is weird because it's actually part of your life. It goes from being new to natural or to new to normal to natural, and it's sort of hardwired into us after a while. But if you step back and think, wow, wait, hold on. The most important thing about me is a relationship with someone that I've never met face to face. When we think about it that way, um, God envisions that we have a relationship with him, and that relationship involves both leadership and friendship. Um, it's a relationship of authority and intimacy, and God wants us to know how we're supposed to relate to him, and baptism teaches us about that. Our baptism teaches us about the relationship of leadership and friendship that God wants to have with us. And so we need that because we don't see God, and so baptism is one of these things that helps us understand a relationship, but we also need baptism because how can we grow and change? Um, without baptism, you might think that you have no power to change or to grow. You might get discouraged because you might think that you're not really a Christian because you can't stop sinning. Because you're addicted to something. You're, you're in bondage to something that you cannot get rid of. Well, baptism speaks to that too. And so for these reasons, we want to look at baptism today. In Romans 6, baptism is mentioned it's this ceremony that conveys God's leadership and his friendship. Um, leadership and friendship with God, right? That's authority over us. It's intimacy with us. 
And so leadership, friendship, do you know what that is actually? Those two words, you put them together, you know what that is? It's adoption. Baptism at its core means adoption. And that's the bottom line that we're going to look at today. Baptism is God's adoption ceremony. Baptism means that God is our heavenly father and Jesus is our best friend. That's our relationship with him. And so we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at baptism, we're going to look at our children, and we're going to look at parenting. Okay? We're going to look at these three things. But if you're not a parent, um, don't tune out because everything that we talk about today is going to be true about you as a child of God, um, but it's also going to be true if you want to help anyone else that you know to grow. If you want to help anybody else that you know to change, then what we're going to talk about parenting is going to relate specifically to you. And so, um, so we're going to look at three things. First, baptism means the adoption of believers. Okay, it's an adoption ceremony, and it's the adoption of people who believe in Jesus. So baptism brings a new reality. We saw this last week. We're going to look at it again really briefly in these verses. It says your old self dies in baptism and you are a new self raised and adopted. Okay, let's look at Romans 6 verses 3 through 8. It's in the bulletin that you have. It's also going to be on the screens. Um, It says this. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So baptism is the death of our old self. Part of the process of baptism is that we renounce our sin. We renounce the things that we do that destroy us, hurt relationships, and um, bring negativity into the world. So we renounce our sin and we renounce the old world that our sin creates in favor of a commitment to Jesus, and a commitment to the new world that he is building. Right? We talked about this in detail last week. Well, the rest of the Bible teaches that baptism is something even more. That baptism is an even bigger reality. Baptism is actually what the Bible calls a sacrament. Okay? It's a sacrament. This means it's designed by God to give you assurance. Okay? And it's assurance is to help you know for sure that you have been adopted into God's family. Okay, so it's assurance of adoption. Let me give you some verses to talk about this. Romans 4, verse 11 says that Abraham, Father Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, Abraham received the sign of circumcision. That was the adoption ceremony in the Old Testament. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So it says that circumcision was a seal. And a seal was like that stamp of authenticity. Like this is genuinely from God. So it's proof. If it's been sealed by God, then it's proof that it's from him. 
And so circumcision in the Old Testament was a seal. Now in the New Testament, baptism is a seal. It gives us assurance that we're God's adopted children. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 dives into this even a little bit more deeply. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So again, more language about this seal. The Holy Spirit is given to us as this guarantee. It's a guarantee of our inheritance. And the idea here is that God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we would know for sure that there is so much more to come. Okay, life is broken. We understand that. We are broken. If we're honest, we can understand that too. God is actively at work in our lives. He is coming and he works in us. And the way he does that is by giving us the Holy Spirit. That is God's presence. And when the Spirit comes, we experience the presence of God. And the Spirit washes us of our sins. It cleanses us. It regenerates us. It puts new power, it puts new desires, it puts new ways of thinking into our hearts, into our minds, so that we change from the inside out. We become new. The Spirit comes, and it's this guarantee. The word guarantee is also, some translations actually say it's the down payment of our inheritance. The idea is that God has this incredible inheritance for us in a completely renewed heaven and earth. That's what the end of the Bible says, that the ultimate destination that God has for us as his people is a brand new heaven and earth. And the Holy Spirit now is the guarantee that that is the future that God is bringing us to. And so it's this seal, it's this assurance that we are new from the inside out. Some years ago, um, Casey Forrest, Mike's wife, um, she got her car stolen. Um, the car that she had was a very small car. And at that time, part of Casey's commute in this small car was to come south from Mission Valley up Texas Avenue, right? In this small car, Casey said that she could only go 25 miles an hour up Texas Street, right? Have y'all driven this? I mean, it's pretty steep. I've run it once or twice, and it's punishing. I mean, so there she is, up 25 miles an hour on a daily basis, right? This is what she does. Well, when her car got stolen, her insurance gave her a rental car. The rental car that she got was this massive SUV. It was an eight-cylinder engine, enormously powerful, completely different car. And yet, and yet, she caught herself driving up Texas Street at 25 miles an hour. Why? Well, she was kind of used to living in her old car. She needed to be woken up. She needed somebody to come and say, Casey, hey, what are you doing? You could take this hill at 90 in that thing. I mean, you'll burn half your tank of gas, but like you can go up this street so much faster. But she forgot that her new car had new power that her old one didn't have. Friends, this is part of what baptism is designed to make us sure of. 
And whether you remember your baptism or not, if you've been baptized and you're trusting Jesus, man, this means that you have power from God that you never had before, and you can live in that power. So baptism is this new reality. Um, and part of the reason for that is because in baptism, God gives us his name. God gives us his name in baptism. And that's one of the reasons we know that baptism is an adoption ceremony. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when baptisms happen, we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is pronouncing his name over his people. He's saying, we are now part of his family. This is an adoption ceremony where you get a new last name. You're now part of God's family. You are Jesse of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You're Lynette of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a new identity because you're part of a new family. You're the family of God. I want to tell you a story that's a little bit more personal for me. Um, I want to tell you about my family, and I'm thinking, and I'm talking about my family sort of up and back in history, so not the family with me, Laney, and the kids, but um, I love my family. love my mom, my dad, my brother, um, and, and the family up above, but growing up, there were some seasons for me of incredible turmoil in my family. There were some really, really difficult times of chaos. And I remember spending a lot of time at my best friend's house. Um, I loved going to his house because every time I got to his house, whether or not my best friend was there, um, his mom was always there. And his mom was always in the same place. And I would knock and open the door, kind of announce myself. And usually like the third or fourth question that she would always ask was, are you hungry? And invariably I would say, of course. <laughs> um, and she would make food. And she was like, she was like this anchor for me. My best friend's dad was one of the smartest people that I knew. I was into sports and he was a coach and he would sit and talk with us for hours um, about things that we were learning, things that we were practicing, sports that we were involved in. Um, that place was such an incredible sanctuary for me. Um, I imagined I was part of that family. You know, that family was my family. I felt different being there. I felt different knowing that that was there even if I wasn't there. You know what I'm saying? Um, friends, baptism means that we belong to God's family. It's a new family. Um, and baptism is that adoption ceremony for people who believe in Jesus. So, 
That's the first thing. Baptism is the adoption of believers. Um, The second thing that I want you to see today is that baptism is also the adoption of believers' children. The adoption of believers' children. Now, this is something that not every church agrees about, and in the best places, this produces a healthy discussion about what does the Bible teach. You know, there's, there's people that argue and fight over stuff like this, and it's really not wise to do that. Um, but, uh, but this is not something that everybody agrees about. So, but our church believes that baptism is, by design, God adopting the children of believers into his family. And so I want to talk about that some. Um, and first, I want to stop, and I want to look at the Old Testament first. I want to talk about some things in the Old Testament, um, and then I want to look at the New Testament. Um, and, and you're going to see that they're, they're totally different. So it's important to see these things. So let's look at the Old Testament first. Okay, there's three things, and nobody disagrees about these three things, the, about the Old Testament. Everybody agrees about the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament where there's some differences of opinion and interpretation. But so in the Old Testament, first, children were part of God's family. Okay? The children of believers were part of God's family. In Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I am going to bind myself. I'm going to adopt you into my family. And my covenant is for you and for your children. So my covenant is with you, Abraham, because of your faith in me, and it's also to your children. And God says this 10 times, literally 10 times in Genesis chapter 17. I am a God to you and to your children after you, a God to you and your children after you over and over and over again, okay? This is the, this is the case for the entire Old Testament for thousands of years. This is how God operated. God said, I am a God to you and to your children. So children were part of God's family, but children of believers were part of God's family. Well, then this is something, the second thing is something you might not know, Okay, this is something that could be new to many of you. But in the Old Testament, the children of believers grew up believing. The children of believers grew up believing. Psalm 22 is a passage you might not be familiar with. Psalm 22 is looked at in another context because it's it's got a lot. It's a long psalm. But I want you to see these two verses in Psalm 22. It's verses 9 and 10. Listen to what this says. This says, yet you are, this is a prayer to God. It says, yet you, God, you are he who took me, the person who's writing the psalm. So God, you took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. See what these verses say? It says, when I was nursing at my mother's breast, I trusted you. I believed in you. That from the womb, you have been my God. The children of believers in the Old Testament, they grew up believing. They grew up in the faith. They grew up trusting God. They grew up with faith. And then third, the third thing we see in the Old Testament is God put the adoption sign onto believers and their children. So God put the sign of adoption, circumcision, onto believers and their children. Again, Genesis 17, the institution of circumcision, God made it really clear. 
that they were to receive, the children were supposed to receive circumcision as infants on the eighth day. So that's the Old Testament. Now we've got to look at the New Testament, right? Because the New Testament is totally different, right? Old Testament, New Testament, completely different in every possible way, right? Well, let's look. Let's see what the New Testament says. In the New Testament, we see, first, that children of believers were part of God's family. This is Matthew 19, verse 14. Jesus said, this is Jesus talking, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, the children belong with me. The children are actually the owners. Like, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Right? They are part of God's family. In the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians, um, it says, over, I think it says six times, it says there were moments when adults were converted to Jesus. They became Christians later on in life. And their entire households were baptized. Their household would have included children. That happened over and over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, it says this. It says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. And so there's stuff in this passage that's describing the dynamics that exist when you have a a Christian married to a non-Christian person, right? But the point that I want you to see here is that if you're in a family with one or two believing parents, the children in that family are considered holy. They're part of God's family. So that's the first thing, um, which actually isn't that different from the Old Testament. Children were part of God's family. So New Testament and Old Testament, I guess that's the same. Um, second, second, in the New Testament, children grow up or grew up believing. Children grew up believing. Ephesians 6 verse 1 says this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. We know what it means to obey your parents, right? But that's not what this says. This says obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, this is part of the letter to the church in Ephesus. It's part of the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, this phrase, in the Lord, this phrase, like it, uh, this phrase is used over 30 different times. The phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ, is used over 30 times. And every single time this phrase is used, it means out of the fullness of your relationship to Jesus. So when the commands come, when God's requirements come, when the ways of God come to people, God doesn't ask us to do things without giving us the power and the strength to do them. That's true for adults, and it's true for children. The reason why children can obey their parents is because they are in Christ. They're in the Lord. And so, in the New Testament, Children grew up believing. 
Children grew up with the faith of their parents. Now, they don't always stay in the faith of their parents. And that's true in the Old Testament as well. Sometimes children grow up and they stop believing in Jesus. They reject the faith of their parents. But at that point, they're leaving the faith that they grew up in. And so we can talk more about that. Um, if you have questions about that, you can come talk to me. Um, but so in the New Testament, actually, that's, that's the same as the Old Testament too. Huh, not so different after all. Hold on. So third thing, third thing. So children were part of God's family. Children grew up believing. The third thing in the New Testament is that, that we see is that God puts the adoption sign on believers and their children. So God put the adoption sign onto children. I guess there really isn't a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, is there? No, they're actually the same in this respect. There are differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, but those differences are not in the area of whether children are part of God's family or not. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so we see here, there's another passage in Colossians um, chapter 2 that actually says that, that baptism is the New Testament version of circumcision. It's chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, if you want to look it up. Um, but it just, it solidifies the connection. That in the same way that children were part of the God's family in the Old Testament and received the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament, the same is true here in the New. Now, the purpose of me talking about this is not... I don't want to just, the purpose isn't just to have an argument about whether or not we should baptize our infants. Okay, that's not the purpose. The real key is, here's the real key, here's the crux, here's the substance underneath whether or not we should baptize our infants. It's this, how can we help our children to experience God as father and Jesus as their best friend? That's the question that's actually more important. How can we raise our kids? How can we help our kids to grow up with God as father and Jesus as their best friend? Again, that's the bigger issue, the more important issue. When you focus on that question, that kind of frees you up. I think, I think the best way to answer that question is to baptize your kids and raise them as baptized children. Um, and we'll talk about that here in just a sec. But I want to make it really clear that in the church at large, there are wonderful parents who are amazing parents who haven't baptized their children. In our church, there are wonderful and amazing parents who have not baptized their children. I think that the Bible would encourage them to do that, but just so that you know, if you disagree with us on this, if you think the Bible teaches something else, you're welcome here. Like, this is one of these areas where we're like, we'll agree to disagree. And we'll keep, you know, battling back and forth about what does the Bible teach, and we'll push on you, you can push on us. And this is one of these things that we don't want to argue about, because again, the substance is, how can we raise our kids so that they would know God as Father, and they would know Jesus as their best friend? That's what's important. 
I think that when we baptize our children, what we're communicating to them is that God's leadership and his friendship start from the time they're born. That God loves them. He welcomes them. He speaks to them. God listens to them. God is honored by their love and their obedience and their service to him. These are all things that are only true of people that are in God's family. And so, think about it this way. Think about it this way. Adults who aren't Christians, they convert to believing in Jesus. They go from not believing in Jesus, not committed to following Jesus in every, in every area of their life, they convert to a place where they believe in Jesus. Okay? Children grow up believing in Jesus. Okay? That's the difference. Now, adults convert from the old self to the new self at some point in their lives. They go from being old selves to being new selves. And then the rest of their life looks like the old self and the new self kind of in battle and at war with each other, right? Because when you become a Christian, you don't just stop sinning, right? We still struggle with sin. We still fight against it. We're still longing to become more and more like Jesus, right? So adults convert from the old self to the new, and then they live in the tension of both the old and the new. Children live their whole lives in this tension, That's the difference. Okay? Children live in this tension of the old and the new from the time they're born. From the time their parents begin to teach them to pray and to know God and to understand who he is and to experience his leadership and his friendship. Children live in this tension. And that's the difference. Now, what this means, since this is the tension reality that that both adults and children in the church struggle with, live in. This means that with everyone, with adults and with children, we want to daily encourage everyone's faith to grow and to deepen. Whether you're a child or you're an adult, we want you to experience more of God's fatherly love and Jesus' sacrificial friendship. And so this doesn't keep us from making sure that our children love Jesus. This doesn't keep us from teaching our children that Jesus died for their sins and he is the one who's given them forgiveness and acceptance with God. On the contrary, this is what we teach everyone. We want everyone to understand and to learn and grow in this, to trust Jesus every day and deepen their sense of his friendship and leadership. So, baptism means the adoption of believers, the adoption of believers' children, and then it speaks to parents. Baptism means that parents raise God's adopted children. This is what parenting is. Parenting is raising God's adopted children. Okay, now, again, I want to remind you that if you don't have kids, you still get to participate in this because every one of your spiritual friendships is you helping raise one of God's adopted children right? All of your discipleship efforts are you helping to raise God's adopted children so they become fully mature. Now, I've been exposed to all kinds of material, all kinds of curriculum, all kinds of lessons, all kinds of Bible studies, all kinds of lectures. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours 
lots and lots of pages on parenting, like in the best way to parent. I can tell you that for me, this is for me, the best distillation of parenting centered on the gospel is by a pastor named Ted Sin. It's kind of funny that his last name is Sin. Um, But Ted Sin is the former pastor of New City Church in Orlando, Florida. He is the author of City Bible Reading. So if you have a CBR journal, it's because Ted invented that and uh, has gifted it to the church. And so, um, and he distilled parenting down to three, three components. So there's three components to parenting God's adopted children. Okay, first, first he says that we are to delight in our children. This is where it starts. We need to delight in our children. This means like seeing them as the completely unique and special image bearers of God that they are. This means seeing the good in them. (laughs) This doesn't apply when they're teenagers, no. Um, This means, yes, seeing the good in them. It's, It's honoring and celebrating when they do things right. This means making a big deal about who they are. This means appreciating their uniqueness. Right, it's seeing them and celebrating them. Um, it means knowing their motives. So not just what they do, but why did they do it? And letting their motivations affect your interpretation of what they've done so that you don't come down at them when they, weren't, when they didn't mean to. Right? This is something I struggle and have struggled with a lot in my own parenting. But this means enjoying being with them. Right? Lainey does a great job of this with our kids. Um, she really enjoys them and just celebrates them. Um, and so delighting in your children is where it starts. Second, we are to discipline God's adopted children. So you need to discipline your children. This means setting boundaries for them and enforcing those boundaries consistently. Okay, this is good for them. Right? There are some boundaries that you're going to set that directly reflect God's word, what's right and wrong in the Bible. Um, you're also going to have some boundaries that aren't in the Bible but they are good for you, they're good for them, they're good for your family, okay? Like, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not touch the blinds. But it might be really, really good for your children not to touch the blinds. And so you can establish that as a rule in your house, right? Um, The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not touch the hot stove. But again, or you shouldn't touch the stove at all. And so, but that's something that's really good for them. Now, um, you want to make sure that when you're outside of God's parameters, that you have good reasons for your boundaries. Because it can get really frustrating if you just have arbitrary rules that don't make any sense and they find out that you're just this arbitrary person. That's not God. That's not the way God designs. God's rules are all designed for our good, right? They, they help us to flourish and thrive. And so you want your, um, you want your, um, your principles, your boundaries to reflect God. But your goal, your job with discipline is to help your kids to grow up knowing how to live under the authority of others. That's part of your goal as parents. Um, Growing up, knowing that you want them to grow up knowing that what they do matters, that they can actually create good and create bad in the world. Um, So consequences, they reap what they sow. Your approval and your disappointment show them that what they do matters. And this begins to prepare them 
for whatever God's purpose is in their life. So you bless them this way and you will teach them how they can learn to live within God's boundaries because ultimately God is their heavenly father and you want them to delight in his boundaries, but also to respect the boundaries of their friends, to respect the boundaries of the schools they go to, to respect the boundaries at work, in their marriage, in their own families. And the Bible says that we discipline our kids with the rod and reproof. So it's Reproof is verbal correction, and the rod is, I mean, you could take it literally, and it's spanking your kids. Um, you could also take it metaphorically and saying you're creating, very neg- you're creating negative consequences that are acute and painful. Um, and so um, that's the process of discipline. Um, so we delight in our children. We discipline our children. And you can do this, again, in any friendship, right? In any relationship. You want to delight in your friends. You want to point out good things that you see in them. You want to delight in them. You want to, hey, you're really gifted. When you did this, it really meant something to me. That's delighting in your friends, right? So if you're doing this in just a a general relationship. Um, Discipline would mean, hey, are you sure that's a good idea? You know, are are you sure you should be making that decision in your life right now? Um, Look, I don't want to be like a prude here. I don't want to be like a Bible thumper, but you know this is actually is contradicting God's word, right? Like, what are you doing here? Right? That's part of the discipline process with friends. And so again, this isn't just parents. This is, um, this is also in all really spiritual friendships. All right, so the third and last thing, um, after you delight in discipline is you disciple. You disciple God's adopted children. Um, and when the kids are young, there's a lot of overlap between discipline and disciple. Um, discipline sort of gives way to discipling as the kids get older. You do less disciplining and more discipling. Um, and discipleship means that you want your children to understand and be blessed by your faith. Okay, you want them to understand and be blessed by your faith. Your experience of God as Heavenly Father, and your experience of Jesus as your best friend will profoundly shape your children's relationship with God. If God is real to you, God will become real to them. If they can see it in you, if they can see that your life is affected, that your relationship with God has an impact on your daily life, they will learn that, though. It's, it's sometimes they say it's caught, not taught. When they see that it's both coming from your mouth, but also lived out in your life. If they can see that you know that you need God as your authority over you to correct you. If they hear that you are confessing your sins, you will open up a door for them to feel safe to confess their sins to him. If you delight in the work of Jesus for you, in you, and through you, they will learn to see that same work alive in them. And again, if it's real for you, it'll be real for them. Children do before they know. They learn by living. And you have the opportunity to give your children a hardwired relationship with God where they will grow up never knowing a day when God didn't love them, when God didn't care for them, when they didn't live in that tension of old and new. So, 
Um, so that's parenting. And so let me just bring this to a conclusion. The point of all of this, I know we've talked about a lot. The point of all of this, though, and, and where I want you to come out on this um, is I want you to rehearse your baptism. Your baptism is an adoption ceremony. For a lot of you, it was a long time ago. Um, rehearse the reality that you've been adopted by God. Rehearse your baptism. And so this means if you haven't been baptized, come on, <laughs> let's get baptized. Why would you not want to go through God's adoption ceremony, right? If you have kids that haven't been baptized, bring them for baptism. How about next week? We have two baptisms already lined up for next Sunday. We would love to baptize you and or your children if you're ready for that. Um, if you're, like, let us know. Use the connection card, say, okay, I'm ready to take the next step for baptism. Uh, maybe next week isn't the right timing for you. Um, I know when, I mean, if you're going to baptize, especially if you're going to baptize one of your kids, you probably want to bring your family, your friends, to, you know, invite folks, so maybe next week's too soon. But at least just let us know. Like, put it on a card. Say, hey, I want to take the next step. Let's, let's look at the future and see when we're going to do this. We would love to have you experience this and begin, I mean, just to enjoy the ceremony that you've been baptized, right, that you've been adopted by God. And so rehearse and remember, though, your adoption and all that it means, right? This is going deeper in the value of being gospel-centered as we rehearse the truths of the gospel. Um, you can rehearse this every time you get wet, right? Baptism is water poured over us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you can say, you know what? I'm going to make more of my life spiritual. I'm going to turn more of my life into communion with God. So every time I come into contact with water, I'm going to remember that I've been baptized, so every time you wash your hands, man, you know what? Something happened to me that's more than just the removal of dirt from my hands. I've been baptized by God. I'm in God's family. When it rains, look up and say, water from heaven. Water from heaven was poured out over me as God's spirit was poured out from heaven to drench my life right? Puddles, shower, bath, like all these things. Let them remind you that you've gone through an initiation ceremony and God has put his name on you and you are different, right? That's the joy. Rehearsing re-experiences. Rehearsing re-experiences. And so rehearse your baptism. And then the last thing I want to say is rehearse your baptism with others. Do it with others, so do it with God, right? Our city Bible reading, CBR, teaches us how to do this with that ACTS process of praying. You know, we get to rehearse our adoption. You adore a God who, is, who loves you like a father. You confess your sins. You thank Jesus for being a sacrificial friend, and you supplicate the Spirit to make you live and help you live as an adopted child of God. We've got Lent and Ash Wednesday coming. It's another chance to rehearse the fact that God's name is on you. We're going to put ashes on you because the cross is now the thing that defines us more than anything else. Um, and so you can do this with God, but then also do this with others. Um, I was meeting with somebody this, like, last week, and, uh, and they're going through something really difficult. They'd really screwed up. Significant area of life where they'd fallen and, um, and after we were talking about it, he just looked at me and he said, hey, um, will you remind me of the gospel? I really need to hear it. 
And I started to think about, okay, what he told me and what are the truths of the gospel that might best help him. And I stopped. I don't know. There was something inside of me that just, and I, I, I actually just, instead of saying what I was thinking about saying, I just asked. I said, hey, what's the gospel that you want me to remind you of? And he said, well, the gospel that Jesus came and lived for me. The gospel that Jesus died to take away my sins so I'd be forgiven and changed. And that Jesus ascended into heaven and now he lives in heaven and he gave me his spirit so that I'm not alone and he is with me. And I said, well, you just said those things like they matter to you. Like you said those things like they make a difference in your life. And he said, yeah, I could actually feel myself changing when I said these things out loud. Just saying it makes it real for me again. Friends, that is what we call preaching the gospel to yourself. This is us going deeper into the values of being gospel-centered, of growing in community. Because honestly, if you're anything like me, sometimes saying it to yourself isn't enough. Sometimes just having somebody else in front of you that you're talking with, that you're talking out loud with, makes all the difference in the world. We have an opportunity to rehearse our baptism, rehearse this adoption that we've experienced by God. We have this opportunity to remember continually his leadership and his friendship in our lives. Let's do that. Let's do that as we start Lent and see the transformation that you will experience. You will experience his power and his love and everything about you will change. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for all that baptism means. In some ways, it's hard to wrap our mind around it all, but Jesus, we just thank you for calling us your children, for coming, finding us when we were lost, bringing us into your family. Jesus, help us to walk as members of your family, to not take your name in vain but to let it have its transforming impact in our lives. Speak to each one of us so that we can walk in baptized lives. We pray this in your name, amen.